Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box podcast, a controversial guest for an upcoming doco sends Twitter into meltdown. Lisa Wilkinson reportedly wants revenge on sections of the media and the big streamers out to get the AFL. Will the anti-siphoning list survive? Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, I'm Rob McKnight. We'll meet the panel in just a moment. But first... It was during this week in television history in 1993 that Conan O'Brien would replace David Letterman as the host of NBC's Late Night. Letterman left NBC when he wasn't given The Tonight Show. After Johnny Carlson's departure, Conan's series ran for 16 years and aired over 2,700 episodes. And it all ended so wonderfully between him (laughs) and NBC. Thank you for your company for this edition of TV Black Box. Tonight, I am joined by the viewers' advocate, Steve Mulk, actress Sarah Monaghan, TV reporter David Robbo Robinson, TV Black Box contributor Aaron Ryan, and magazine writer Philip Kosh. Just another quiet week in the world of TV magazines or magazines in general. It's never a quiet week, Rob. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. You may have all noticed that the magazines have got, got a lot nicer lately, I, I believe. They've had some research that that has told them that people want nicer stories. So less scandal, more inspiration you're going to see in the coming weeks. Interesting. It will be interesting to see whether the sales reflect that because sometimes what people say in research can be very different to the realities. 100% agree. Uh, So it will be interesting. Uh, I think you need a mixture of everything in women's magazines, just like you do on a podcast like this, Rob. Oh, and that's a nice segue because there is a lot to discuss, a whole array of topics. Let's get into it. And with Gruen currently not on our screens, Todd Sampson has been busy filming a documentary for 10 and Paramount+. Plus. However, it's already facing a backlash before it's even gone to air. The series is set to focus on love and hatred and how social media shapes our society. Sampson has interviewed and was photographed with a far-right extremist, Blair Cottrell. Now, this has ruffled feathers with critics saying he shouldn't be giving a platform to people with Cottrell's views. Robbo, this to me is cancel culture. People have to be cut the narrative you don't agree with. Yeah, I think this is ridiculous. If you're going to make a documentary or a documentary series, you need to have all sides uh, of the mm-hmm. argument. And this is a big side of that argument. It's it's half of the argument uh, in, in, in the way that those right-wing, those extremist views 
uh, broadcast and how they shape uh, the discourse in society. I think it's ridiculous if you can't speak to these people. They are part of the story. Uh, there was uh, uh, some research done where it said that people put themselves into social media bubbles where they only ever see and interact with uh, people with the same ideals as them. So then when they see on the outside that other people have different opinions and don't agree with them, then all hell breaks loose. And that's just not the right way it should be. I, I, I encourage everyone to follow people that you wouldn't normally on social media so you don't get into that bubble. You need to have a more rounded idea of what the world is like. And especially if you're doing a documentary on that very subject, you need to have all sides of the argument. It's as simple as that. That's why I follow Mark. Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with Bravo. Um, Don't get me started. The path to education on controversial issues is not to bury your head in the sand. Education is about bringing people together at a table in a responsible way to listen, engage and discuss issues. Um, And I think Todd Sampson in particular, I obviously haven't seen this particular documentary, but in the past he does find a way of, of... of having that fine line, but doing it in a way that is responsible. Um, yeah. So, and so I don't have any problems with him with this documentary because I'm sure he'll do exactly the same. Surely, there's someone in this panel who disagrees with the idea that Todd Sampson should be able to interview whoever he likes. Mulk. <laughs> wow. <laughs> good, good evening, Robert. Um, I'm going to surprise you in part. I think that when we're going to engage in, as Robbo so eloquently put it, a documentary situation where we want to look at a situation, to do that, you've got to look at both sides of the story, ostensibly, or or if you want to do it in a way that's that's reasonable. Um, and so that might mean that you need to speak with people that you're not comfortable with or that people, other people might not be comfortable with. I, I just want to clarify, it's my understanding that he had, Samson had a photo with Blair Cottrell, but didn't interview him. He actually interviewed his best mate, who holds views similar, but he didn't interview Blair. Right. Now, if if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Merry Christmas. Um, uh, but just, I think there's a, a bit of a fine line because Blair has, Blair Cottrell has a, a, a profile publicly that is pretty it's pretty well known what he thinks and Mm -hmm. it's pretty well known around what those sorts of things positions that, you know, that people think about what he thinks. Um, his best mate, who I can't even remember the name of, but that could just be that I'm, I'm a bit all over the place myself. Thank you. Um, to interview his best mate who holds the same opinions, I think still puts it in a, you know, some pretty dangerous territory because you are caught in a situation where I need to be able to, as the documentary maker, you need to be able to allow the the other side or the opposite side of the argument of what you're engaging in to sh- to share their thing. the The catch is that in 2022 we know what you know people that hold far right extremist views think, and I'm not sure that there's a lot gained by bringing them into a conversation about love and hate, if that's indeed, you know, the, the full notion of where it fits. So I'm, I'm torn, Rob. On one hand, I think you can't make a documentary that accurately represents the topic to hand unless you engage with people on, you know, a side that some are uncomfortable with, most yeah. are uncomfortable with. At the same time, I'm really torn because I think giving somebody with some pretty horrendous views another opportunity to, to, to talk about them, and we won't know what totally makes the cut until that, that um, documentary airs, but giving them the opportunity to share it 
just doesn't sit well with me. I, I guess my only thought to that, Mulk, and very well said, is that just because someone says something doesn't mean I, as a viewer, am going to agree with that. And it's not, you, you know, if I believe that, I believe sure. it. Hearing this guy being challenged isn't necessarily going to make me start having these views that I don't hold. And who's to say ultimately what can and can't, um, who can and can't, I should put it, be interviewed? It's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, her book might have been released five months ago, but Lisa Wilkinson is still disputing some of the headlines it generated. The Network 10 star wants to set the record straight and will be using breakfast speaking engagements to do just that, along with bacon, eggs and maybe a croissant. Miss Wilkinson will say there was a major pay gap between herself and Carl Stefanovic, despite it being fact-checked by many in the media, including news.com.au. The outlet actually pointed out that when she first came onto the Today Show, she was earning more money than Stefanovic. Philip, can we just be clear on something? When it comes to TV stars, your gender don't mean shit. What matters is whether you get people to watch you. By the end of Lisa's tenure on the Today Show, Carl was the star. She was the second banana. And I don't say that to make fun of her or belittle her, but the very idea that she should have been on the same amount of money as Carl is preposterous, not to mention the fact he was also doing 60 Minutes, but let's just put it on the Today Show. Who were they writing articles about when you were writing in magazines? The stories were about Carl. Daily Mail, Carl. News.com.au, Carl. Yahoo, Carl. The stories are still about Carl. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm not saying Lisa's not popular. I'm not saying that she doesn't generate headlines. But if you did an audit during their time together on the show, who drove the headlines and the press and publicity for that show? It was Carl. Why on earth do we think that people deserve the same money when they're on air? You don't. You get money based on your talent and your ratings appeal. If people aren't watching you or aren't talking about you, you don't get paid as much. If Lisa was the star of that show, she could quite rightly get paid more. Ida Buttrose got paid more than anyone else on Studio 10 because she was the star. She was the biggest name. By the end of Lisa's tenure on the Today Show, Carl was the star. Why are we still talking about this? Well, we're talking about it because Lisa needs to sell a book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, it it is ridiculous to think that that she considered herself at Carl's equal in terms of generating an audience or, or column inches or anything else, that was simply not true. I think it, it, it was a bit more complicated than what people have said. You know, Channel 9, we, we learned more detail about her salary and Carl's salary than we ever had before with two TV stars. So Lisa had a whole bunch of side deals that were earning her, I don't know, somewhere around, I think, a million dollars a year anyway. Yeah. Uh, Carl did not have any of those deals. He signed himself completely to Channel 9 and they were able to exploit his brand, at, you know, obviously in partnership with him, but exclusively. So there's that. Um, and also I completely agree with you. You know, the star of the show always gets paid the most amount of money. It doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman. Uh, if traditionally women have been paid less, then I think 
it can have it, it can be a few factors. It can be perhaps negotiation skills and who represents them. I think that's a big part of it in TV. Um, Carl's well represented and a great negotiator. I have no doubt that he might have fueled those rumours that Channel Seven were going to poach him. But that's just a smart negotiation move when you're in salary mode, right? To to say that they should be on equal pay would be like saying whoever, you know, some random who gets to star alongside Jennifer Lawrence on a movie should get the $20 million fee she commands because the two stars with equal time should get the same amount of money. Just not a thing. I think it's unkind to call Lisa a random. No, she's not a random, but my point is, even okay, even a star of some note who's not as big as Jennifer Lawrence should not get the same amount of money as Jennifer Lawrence. Well, well, he was kind of a random at the beginning, wasn't he? Like, that's what we're saying at the beginning of today's show. And he got paid less. He was the random. Absolutely right. Yeah, if we take it back to then, she was the biggest star, she got the biggest salary. You know, it's sort of, it's got to cut both ways, doesn't it? Sarah, all the men have had a say on this issue. (laughs) You're our token woman. (laughs) You're getting paid the same as all of us. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, no, but no, I, I agree with you. I think that y- you should get paid on your talent. And if she is more talented and she is getting more views, but like when I see things on social media in the US that come out of Australia, it's always Carl. Correct. Every time, out of all the networks, it's yep. always Carl. It's him with the Dalai Lama. You know, it's him that's mm-hmm. always doing stuff. It's not her. So absolutely. Like she earned more money and then he eclipsed her and he made more and, you know, power to him. And and if the roles had been reversed, I would be sitting here right now defending Lisa. But I'm sick of this whinging that I that someone's saying they don't get the same amount of money. This isn't this isn't an office job where you're both on the same tier and doing the same job, you know, where there's an employment contract. When she was earning more than him. Did she say, oh, we should get the same back then? Ah. Was she asking for parity when she knew she was making more or was she fine with it at that point? That's the question. Jeepers. (laughs) You've won the argument. All right. Uh, Don't say that often. Well done, Sarah. (laughs) It was once the goose that laid the golden egg, but it now appears Netflix has run out of calcium carbonate. For the first time in over a decade, the streaming giant has lost subscribers and the big N is now looking for other ways to bring the balls back. Eyeballs, that is. They're talking about possibly introducing a lower-cost version that is ad-supported. They blame the drop in subscribers on password sharing, world events and increased competition. Aaron, are there just too many options? Remember, we once had Presto here in Australia and that dropped off the perch, which allowed Stan to thrive and survive. Yeah, of course, there is too many options and people are moving around now. Other players come in, you know, and Warner Brothers and stuff will come to Australia at some stage and, and, you know, have their own streaming services. There's going to be more to choose from. But on this issue, this is one of those things I'm going to have to get educated on again. The bit I don't understand is is how the mathematics add up. So if you had... um, if I can just do a quick example, if you had a million subscribers paying $12 a month and then you offer an ad support feature and you get an extra 500,000 extra su- subscribers, but then you have 300,000 of, of your million swapped to the free option, so you've now got 700 full paying and 800,000 ad supported. This is a total guess, but I'm, I'm guessing you're going backwards with the money. I, I would say having a million full paying customers is 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 
better no. than having having a mixed. Well, you got to think for every ad that they show, right? They can make more money from the advertisements than they can per subscriber. If a subscriber is paying twelve dollars, right? Per month, yeah. But you can sell multiple spots at I don't know, just say uh, a, a cost of a hundred dollars CPM. So you know, a uh, hundred dollars per thousand clicks or subscribers or who watches that show. Um, you're suddenly making a lot more money per month than you are just from your subscriber model. I just so, would've, I would have just guessed though that because most models are paying monthly and they, they're not ad supported, is that they're making more money. The model of a streaming service is to pay a monthly subscription and not be ad supported because they because they make more money. I, anyway, I. What That's Rob's saying of... is that by having the people that pay the lesser amount for the ad supported platform, Netflix are double dipping ostensibly by getting additional income from the advertisers paying to have their ads in that ad supported platform. So Netflix, they're not going to do it because they're, they're nice people. They're going to do it because they want to make money. One of the interesting things about this whole um, advertising model, if Netflix went down this path, would be transparency. So until now, Netflix don't have to release any data, any numbers. Even the people who make the shows don't know how many people are watching. But if you're suddenly selling advertising, those advertisers want to know how many people they've reached, how many people have seen that ad. And so all of a sudden, Netflix has to reveal numbers. So, for example... Yeah, advertisers don't just put up money. They they would need guarantees on how many people they're reaching and reporting. That's how advertising works. Sure. So they would, for example, if a if a client took out sponsorship of Byron Bay's, they would have to get a full report on how many people <laughs> watched Byron Bay's and how many. Sorry, now you're starting to draw a pretty thin bow. Honestly, well, um, I don't get, think I don't think you'd be getting much return on investment for Byron Bay's. Admittedly, well, the but, challenge is, Rob, we don't know the the format by which Netflix are going to be selling advertising yet because true. we haven't got to that point. It could be I, as I'm simple using as using a bit of a traditional model sure. to make an illustration that this is a dangerous place for Netflix because transparency becomes an issue. Well, yes and no. I mean, if, if as an example, I want to guarantee that you're going to show my ad to a million people and that's going to cost me, let's say, a million bucks, right, just around the numbers, mm. I'm going to pay you a million bucks and Netflix send me a, an email to say a million people saw your ad by this date. They're not going to necessarily tell me who, what, when or why. They might go into demographics and I'm sure the advertisers would demand it because they're going to want to get their product in front of it. The catch is that we don't have too many, other than the super big brands, global platforms that are going to want to buy into this kind of advertising model because, you know, we don't want to sit there as Australian subscribers and see a whole bunch of American ads. It's costly no, to that's, sell that's advertising. that's another expense for Netflix that yeah. they'd have to so have you either go with teams. your global brands that are mm. going to deliver an ad that transcends the region that I'm a part of or you spend the money to get local ad sales. And, and Robbo, what we're seeing here is that Netflix just kept growing, growing. It was unprecedented growth off the back of content made by television stations who took the short cash grab. Now they're taking that content back. Netflix, I've got to say these days with Netflix, there's not a lot of their new content that is must watch. Um, There's probably one show on Netflix at the moment that's a new series, which I'll talk about in Binge Box that I'm watching. Otherwise, I'm sort of watching old TV content like Big Bang Theory, The Mums and all that kind of stuff. 
Mm. Well, they said that uh, every week they would need the Atom Project or Bridgerton to premiere on the platform in order for it to continue that kind of growth. Things like this can't grow forever, especially when you've got such a saturated market. Yeah. Uh, so I guess going going down the path of possibly having an ad-supported service is the way to go because you, you physically can't make an ad project in a Bridgerton every week. It just can't happen. Um, especially, I think, that the, the pandemic, even though there were some productions, as we know, going through that, especially during the harshest moments during 2020, there was still a bit of production happening, but it all stopped. And that also affected Netflix greatly because a lot of their brands and a lot of their shows simply just didn't release when they were supposed to, which is, I think would have a flow on effect for something like this. And, and with streaming services, I know I do it myself. I will stop using one until a show comes along that I want to watch. Um, and, right. and I do that all the time. So I, I pull out of Amazon Prime or I pull out of Netflix or anything like that until there's a show that I need and then I'll pay and maybe I'll stay for a little bit, maybe I'll stay longer than the than the show I was going back for, but it, it is really important that I absolutely vote with my my bank account when it comes to if they've got nothing new or nothing exciting, I just remove my subscription. We spoke recently about the possibility of the Olympics moving over to streaming services and now the AFL rights are looking to be up for grabs and they seem ready to pounce. The Age has revealed two of the world's biggest streaming companies, Prime Video and Paramount Plus, are locked in a bidding war to broadcast the Aussie Rules League in a deal set to go beyond 2024. Fewer people are watching footy on the Seven Network, the league's free-to-air broadcaster, with their ratings down more than 18% compared to five years ago as people turn to subscription and TV streaming. Fox Footy's numbers are also down 13%, while Fox's streaming service KO has gone from zero viewers in 2017 to an average 139,000 viewers in the first month of the season. The news comes at the same time as the league requires significantly higher broadcast revenues to pay for the salary claims of male players and a near doubling in pay for the AFLW. There was an interesting side note to this. I did note, uh, Sarah, that the the... AFL wanted the men to contribute some of their salaries to paying for the women's league and they said no. And I don't have a problem with that. The AFL made a deal with these men uh, and these male players. They're trying to bring up the women's league, which is fantastic and great. But why should people give away their salary to support the AFL supporting something else? Yeah, if you've already negotiated a contract, then they need to pay you what you've been paid and you shouldn't have to subsidise somebody else's salary. They should pay the women more and they should find the money for it and not ask somebody else to give up their pay. Now, this is a side issue, but I can see your hand rising up. You're going to burst at the seams, so get your point out, Mulk. (laughs) When it it comes to sport, Rob, it's about growing the code. And in the AFL situation, I completely agree with what has been said. If the contract has been made... Yep. You pay the people that what you We're owe them. We're all about growing it with the women's side. No one's disagreeing with that. It is not an unreasonable request from the AFL to make. It wasn't a demand. It was a request from the AFL to make of the male players to offer some money to help support to lift the pay parity situation from the men to the ladies so that they all had the opportunity to earn some more cash because the AFLW is becoming a much more bankable product. And that in itself is something that the AFL want to support and they want to grow. It also makes a real pickle for the AFL because they can't afford to pay all of them all of the money that they're asking for because there is literally a limit to how much money can be paid out of particularly the free-to-air market. Okay, so let me ask you this. 
Ratings are going down. Seven are yep. going to go in hard with their negotiation. Sure will. So they they won't want to pay more to get fewer ratings. For sure. Will Australians accept that if the AFL goes onto a streaming service, push push the anti-siphoning list to the side for a moment, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Would Australians accept that if the AFL went and said, we're going to go with Amazon Prime, they're offering us a, a, us a, bazillion, a billion dollars, a billion dollars, sure. and we're going to be able to put all that money into growing, pay parity with women and all that kind of stuff. We can put money into club sport. Do you think Australians would accept the idea of paying for their AFL? Well... Firstly, the executives at Foxtel would need a nurse to help them change their pants because a billion dollars <laughs> in in opposition to them. I mean, Seven and and, the, and Foxtel have already paid the AFL one point one billion dollars um, in a deal, you know, a deal ago. They paid them that much together already. Um, the that was a five year deal or something, wasn't it? Sure, yeah. If a billion dollars for a year would be outrageous money and exactly the right sort of money to to warrant the conversation. Mm. We're in a, we're in a unique position where there is a significant number of people who currently pay to watch the AFL now yes. on either KO or Foxtel, yep. um, and they are disadvantaged as we've discussed before because of the legislation that means that they have to watch. Some of the games on seven. Absolutely, they have to watch the AFL Grand Final on seven because that is the law. Um, and if all of a sudden a Prime or a Paramount popped up and said, hey, we want to do this deal, um, well, Foxtel will be concerned. But I think given that there's really no legislation around it and it would probably need to pop up pretty promptly given the anti-siphoning list, the AFL would be mad not to take it. And I think that the audiences, once they got over, oh, but now I have to pay to watch the AFL, all of that sort of stuff, I mean, we're halfway there now. Anyone that is serious about their AFL pays to watch their AFL on Foxtel or Kaya. Sure. I think Australians so, would be up in arms if absolutely. the only option was a, a subscription service. I think I think it's un, I think it's an Australian model. You can always go to the pub and have a beer and watch it there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only <laughs> time I watch sport is when it's on at a bar. Seriously. And the challenge is, Philip, you're right. They would be over over just there'd be pitchforks at the AFL headquarters. Um, and I think depending on how much it cost them, they'd get over it pretty quickly. Because they'd be but all we know sorts they're of not going to tear down the anti-siphoning list. We know that. It's politically dangerous. The networks would turn on any politician trying to do that, any party trying to do that. And I personally, Philip, don't see a problem with big events like that remaining on free-to-air TV. Well, well I think Australians expect them to. Yes, you can condition people for certain things, but I don't know, you're messing with the national game. Yes. The clock's ticking on that, though, right? Like, it can't stay like that forever, even probably even the next 10 to 15 years. It won't stay like that. Well, uh, then you're throwing the whole question of whether free-to-air TV will exist in 15 years. And that's a much bigger (laughs) question. Well, last week we discussed the controversial Twitter list published by ABC presenter Fazia Ibrahim and the broadcaster's subsequent investigation into her social media. Well, now they've taken some action and whisked her off air without explanation. Eagle-eyed viewers noticed Ibrahim was missing from her usual presenting slot over the weekend, leading to speculation as to whether she had been dropped by the broadcaster. She became embroiled in controversy after it was uncovered that she kept a list of, and I quote, Labour trolls slash thugs on Twitter and another labelled lobotomised shitheads. 
The ABC confirmed on Monday that Ibrahim has taken a break from presenting while her social media activity is under review, with her comments reportedly causing quite the stir inside ABC headquarters. I feel like I should say that as quite the stir inside ABC headquarters. Um... We're having a stir inside the ABC. We haven't we haven't had a stir in some time, have we, Harold? It's young Mr. Um, Grace. <laughs> um, it's interesting because, uh, as as many know, I work at 4BC, which is owned by Nine, but is you know I think everyone knows that doesn't interfere with what I do at TV Black Box. But it was interesting, Robbo, to hear some of the commentary saying, "Well, of course they pull." someone who has had a go at Labor side, hasn't expressed their political views like some at the ABC do, but is seen presumably as being leaning towards the conservative side, how she's spoken about Labor, and she's the one getting pulled off air when other people from the ABC post and express left-leaning views, they don't get pulled off air. There is an idea with those people that they are, as part of their role, giving opinion and giving analysis. So, for example, Laura Tingle uh, writes for abc.net.au and writes under the opinion or analysis uh, banner. Uh, This was not either of those things. And having worked at the ABC, they are very strict on these particular rules with social media and also what you project. Now, to have these kind of lists... There's no excuse for it. That's that's. Oh, it's just, it's just stupid. It's just really dumb. It was stupid. stupid. It shouldn't have happened, uh, and rightly so. She is being she's being dealt with in that way. We we don't know. The ABC hasn't confirmed. They said that she's taking a break from presenting, and her social media is under review. I don't think we should read too much into the fact that she's removed uh, any references to the ABC from her Twitter handle. I, you know, that could just be a very clear way of saying this is a personal account, not a public account. Um, but the, but also that those lines are very, very fuzzy because you're expected to use social media as part of your role, whether you're on air or off air yeah, in, in all media places. Um, look, it, it, this would have been a much bigger story for your friends over at Nine and in the Murdoch press if um, <laughs> if it was about Liberals. They would have exploded if this was a Liberal list. Uh, they have let it go. They've 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 had the That's little. That's not thing true. Up. It's been the front page of the Australian. It's been at the top of their website for how it, long? It, for five minutes? No, that's not true. No, for days. it would have been much bigger. It would have been much much bigger if it was liberals. That's a very fact. broad brush, and I don't and believe it's I true. Will, it's been spoken about nah, on Four BC. It would be bigger. It would we be covered bigger. it today on Four be BC. It's been on. It's been on. A conservative talk stations, if you want to talk, call it that way. But show me the li- show been, me the progressive ones. <laughs> Sorry. Well, on. the only progressive sort of talk show is the project, and it doesn't rate. So <laughs> it definitely wow. would have been a bigger story if she was targeting liberals for sure. Easy Guaranteed. thing to say, oh, but it but would let's, have been. Let's it not have this. Been. Let's not have this argument because there's just no point on that. Thanks for listening the to last week's show, is, Robert, Aaron, by the way. Do you think she will survive this? Um. Look, I'm not sure because I was listening to the debate that you guys were having last week and I thought Mark was 100% right from a moral perspective in that, you know, once you clock out, um, you know, you've clocked out. And I, But I 100% agree with Rob um, and that you were correct. 200% in saying, uh, at the moment. 
You know, yes, exactly. But saying, unfortunately, the opposite is actually true in reality. There's a moral thing, and then what actually happens? I mean, yeah. I, I work in a government, used to work in a government department where if I got onto Facebook at home and just said these these masks are terrible, McGowan's an idiot, that actually is against my code of conduct, and I can yeah. be di- I can be disciplined for that. So you're asking, would she survive? I don't know because if she if she's if she's breached their code of conduct, I mean, I suspect it will just be a um. You know, she'd probably be off air until until the election's over, then back on. Well, but you know, that's a good that's well, a good point. It probably also depends on what she said when they pulled her into the meeting. Like if she said, "I'm so sorry," you know, I thought my things were separate. Versus maybe she said, "Well, they deserved it because they are idiots." You probably get two different responses to whether she comes back on air. I actually think this is a tough one for the ABC. There's no, there's it's a lose lose situation. They're going to annoy someone with whatever decision they make. And she was just stupid for putting the ABC and herself in this situation. What we need to know, Rob, is whether or not, because there was very clearly the Labor biased, you know, Labor shitheads or whatever she called it, or the Labor trolls, was the lobotomized shitheads also Labor or was that a nonpartisan yes, it was also situation? Labor. Also a Labor run. Wow. She was really nailing her colours. That was when she named Labor politicians, I believe. All right. Let's take a look at some production news. And you might remember TV Black Box was the first to report that reality game show Million Dollar Island would be coming to our screens. Well, the Seven Network has confirmed the world's most exciting new show has been commissioned and will likely air against Married at First Sight in early 2023. It's been billed as a social experiment that is part Survivor and part Squid Game, with 100 people competing for the chance to win $1 million while living on a remote Desert desert Island, not dessert. You get the dessert once you've had the million dollars. Seven also revealed one of the goddesses of the kitchen will join Manu, speaking of dessert, as co-host of Seven's My Kitchen Rules. Nigella Lawson will step into the role for the rebooted to the original format hit cooking series. The show is set to premiere on Seven and Seven Plus later in the year. Uh, Sarah, I gotta say, tick on Nigella. Tick on yes. Million Dollar Island. I'm ticking it up. Yes, yes, you are very, very <laughs> informed. <laughs> no, I'm excited for Nigella. Uh, I figured uh, they would always go with a foreign talent because they always need that foreign passport on every Australian show. But she is very good, and I'm happy she's there. Um, she makes some good stuff. I like her. Um, and then, well, well, the, I, the thing with that though, Sarah, is it would have been a no disrespect to any other Australian cook chef star of reality TV shows, it wouldn't have been someone new because all the main players who are good talent have been in a whole, if not all of the reality cooking shows, just about all of them. So bringing in Nigella, yes, she's a a well-known celebrity. She's in the space. It brings a touch of glamour and excitement. I think this was a really good call. I've got to tell you, I got wind that this was happening and I've got to say when I was told this, I didn't actually believe it. And even my sources were saying, I don't know if this is a G-up, Rob. They they were saying, we're hearing Nigella, but surely not. So no one (laughs) believed the story, even though it was sort of getting out. Well, it's probably, it'll be a good thing because people in the UK will then watch the Australian version. Yeah. So, and then, you know, I also look forward to watching the new Lord of the Flies series. So that'll be fun. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, Not you know that's what Million Dollar Island is going to be. It is going to turn into Lord of the Flies so quickly. Like I, I, I eventually if, caught up to what you were saying. I was uh, just a beat I'm behind. Just, I'm just waiting to see if we actually finally get to see somebody stabbed live on camera. That is the only way that that show will work. I'm telling you right now, you can replay it later. It, the show will not work. It just they won't get, get an audience. They should get Balthazar Getty to be like the, the host. Do you remember some time ago, Channel 10 ran a series called The Resort, um, starring John no. Stevens as the host. And the well, whole to be fair, no, no one remembered it, Mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, John Stevens was a host. It was reality TV. And the whole premise was, here's a whole bunch of people come to run a resort in Pacific Island, country and the winner keeps the resort but everyone nice. is like painting it you know, building it making it all nice and tidy and then running it open up to kept to paying customers to turn up and be a part of it and the the, the glorious part of this show is it not only did it rank like right in the toilet it, it just got pushed to like 10 30 at night but also it was so dysfunctional and no one came they had to wrap up the show super early. <laughs> I'm just concerned that if you put 100 people on an island competing for a million dollars, you're not just going to see people get stabbed live on air. People will go missing. People that haven't even been introduced won't appear on the show <laughs> because they just got – you find their bodies buried. It won't uh, work. It just won't work. Unless stuff like that happens, I'm being serious, no, I, that I'm show in. will not rate. I'm it in. just I'll won't. be taking a look. I'll be watching it. No, people will watch it at the beginning. No, no, no doubt. It'll get great numbers at the beginning. It will fade quicker than an analogy that I can't think of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> than the resort. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. Speaking of John Stevens, obviously was part of In Excess. There is a story, there is a book on, remember that um, documentary series about finding the next lead singer of In Excess? Yes. yes. Mm. There is a whole story about how that came to fruition and the deals and the things that happened and the person who came up with the idea, you know who I'm talking about. I know this person listens to the podcast. Can you remember the person that won? Yeah. What uh, was his name? Was Arnold. it Adam Lambert? I thought it was no. Arnold. No, Johnny. No, no. J.D. Fortune. J.C. Oh, J.D. Fortune. J.D. <laughs> Very memorable. J.C. My God. <laughs> but let me tell you, if that book ever gets written, Oh, my God. Anyway, it might feel a little outdated, but last week was actually the final week of the Eastern on ratings period. That means the launch of The Voice, Lego Masters and MasterChef will not be included in end-of-year survey shares. In saying that, it was Team Red that won the network week with 31.3% a share, Team Blue had a 28.2% share and 10 had a 16.5% share. ABC was down there on 15.1, SBS 8.9, and in primary shares, 7 was the winner again with 22.2, 9 was second on 19.1, and the ABC was behind 10, who managed to stay in third place on 10.5, with the ABC on 10.2, SBS 4.9, 7 Mate, and then 7.2 were the top multi-channels. 7 News won the 6pm news battle, and Sunrise won at breakfast. Now, we have the launch night total TV figures for the big tentpole show, so let me bring them to you. The Voice had a 21% lift in audience and rises to 1.532 million, remains number one. Lego Masters had an impressive 42% increase and rose to 1.315 
and remains at number two. MasterChef Australia had an uplift of 28% to an audience of 888,000 to stay third. The trend continues to show that there is an audience for shows on free-to-air TV, but viewers are obviously choosing when they watch and how they watch. This means that a combined 3.735 million viewers watched the three shows combined. And of course, that doesn't even include other viewers watching SBS and ABC and all the multi-channels. So the survey has started again and it was an Anzac Day long weekend. The split coding for AFL Hey Hey seems to have paid off on Sunday night where the combined total across five markets outrated both Lego Masters and MasterChef. On Monday night, The Voice was number one in all five markets. Lego Masters was number two in four markets with Adelaide viewers still preferring MasterChef and the foodies were third on average across the five cap cities. Well, I've got to say my take was the overnights looked a little weak uh, and that seemed a little concerning. Do you think with Total TV and seeing 1.5 and 1.3 million type results, that's an encouraging sign that we can't just rely on overnights and that free-to-air is holding its own? Oh, look, yes, with an if, no, with a but. I think it's a false mm-hmm. economy. I, I think that um, the the challenges that we get with Total TV are that because it is uh, the five city metro plus regional TAM plus BVOD plus the cat seven day catch up. That's all of those numbers rolled together. Straight away, we've got an inconsistency that regional TAM isn't all of regional Australia, and it's not equal apples to apples markets. Even then, when that happens, so yeah, those, I think I think national figures automatically skew towards seven because they have more reportable. Yeah, like you know, affiliates in markets that deliver that content, um, and and then you know, like the only the, to be fair, the only true numbers in it are the BVOD catch up numbers, because they're people that actually watched online, and everybody, no matter where you are, gets that data collected by Oztam, and then catch up is you know the people that recorded it or watched it online, and that data gets captured by Oztam, which is why I'm, I'm just leaning to say that the streaming figures, I think, are probably the more correct out of any of them because they yep. are literally agree. The, the the screen to source, you know, kind of calculation, even though there's a one and a half person estimate on who's watching what and when, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed by uh, how well the voices come out of the gate for Seven. I, I'm, I'm disappointed for all of them that they're not doing better numbers. I think that yeah. the, the total TV numbers at one point, what'd you say, 1.5, 1.3, I think, respectively, mm. for those, for the Seven Nine programs are good, but not great. Because it is honestly in Lego Masters' lifetime that it was pulling 1.2 on overnights. Yeah. And it's only in its fourth season, four years. Um, the audience has great. Look, uh, through the Anzac Easter break, the audiences were down, mate. People just went away and did not turn their televisions on. Everything it's really the was first down. time they've been able to go away when you really oh, think about it. There's no question that that's probably played into it, but that affected even the AFL, which is usually a really strong mm. performer for seven, and the NRL numbers are in the toilet for nine. Um, you know, it's it's really been diabolical for the past two weeks. So I'm sure there was a collective sigh of relief this morning when they saw the figures come in for Monday night's, you know, um, primetime run for all of the shows and see that, oh, they're back up a bit. Though, poor old 10 again fourth behind the abc like that they're on just monday night yeah they're just struggling mm-hmm. six ways from sunday it wasn't because it was a bad episode of MasterChef. it's just that monday night is still that you know it, it's either well or really well programmed public affairs current affairs stuff from from the abc yeah 
Yeah. And 10 are still having troubles with their football. Did I oh, see God. you report they came eighth on Saturday night? Saturday night. If you line all of the channels up, 10 came eighth behind two of sevens multi-channels and one of nines. Um, Jesus. Yeah. And, of course, then all of the other primary channels. Like, that's nothing about that. 3.7% share for 10 primary channel is bullshit yep. when they're trying to grow the A-League. Yep. Well, and the A-League stuffing them over, as we discussed last week. Aaron, I've got to say, I feel like Seven played a blinder on the first night of ratings. Uh, what was it, a 34% share or something like that? With the, with the split coding of uh, running an episode of Hey Hey up in Sydney and Brisbane and running AFL down in uh, Melbourne and Adelaide, that worked. Oh, it did. And, I mean, I said it before, if, if you had to run the AFL and then run a movie in the other markets, which is Sydney, Brisbane and Perth. Sydney, Brisbane and Perth would have absolutely turned to Lego Masters and MasterChef. There had to be something that actually was there to be strong enough in those markets. And obviously, Hey Hey was was uh, that that thing. And can I say, by the way, we did the um the guessing and I was correct. The voice, Lego Masters and MasterChef. Malk and uh, Rob? Oh, I don't remember that, mate. <laughs> I don't remember having that discussion, I've got to say. The um, real challenge for Daryl no, in the Hey Hey special know. is that when you add the two weeks together, <laughs> it's almost it's slightly bigger than half what the broadcast yeah. special was last year so that doesn't bode can well I, for the next can two I things an observation on that because i think once twice you'll cop uh montages but what i actually tuned in and then tuned out because uh and i was going to talk about this in binge box but the thing is you know what? If you're going to show uh, uh, retrospective specials, I want to see full-length clips now. I, mm. I, I don't yeah. just want music and lots of little ha ha ho ho uh, Daryl, you know, moments. I don't want a montage. I want to see chunks of the show. Show me those moments where you know Pluck a Duck went crazy and, and how it all unfolded. Not just a crazy scene of you know Plucker falling on his ass or something like that. You want to relive the show? Correct. And what we've done in these last specials is just montage, montage, montage. We haven't enjoyed the feeling we got from Hey Hey by experiencing those moments. Agreed. And I yes. think that's the killer because it's diminishing returns. If they want to use these retrospective specials, show us longer moments and presumably a Red Faces special will do that because you'll get to see the full act. Yeah. Well, well, also, I, I, don't, we I don't think... Yeah, I don't think Seven, though, uh, were expecting a audience like last time. It aired, obviously, in split ma- in split markets, and it aired on an Easter long weekend, and then it aired on an Anzac Day long weekend. I mean, together, that was never going to produce... Yeah, or, or, but I'm just telling you what I experienced yeah, as a viewer, where I turned it off. Yeah, and, and I did watch it too, and I was thinking, yeah, there was very, like, 10 seconds of this and 20 seconds of yeah. that. I, I wanted to see, the, to see the whole thing as well. Yeah. My question is, given Steve Martin was trending on Twitter today because <laughs> of an SNL skit from the 1970s, can we actually show full clips of Hey Hey It's Saturday without some young kids losing their mind saying that it's inappropriate and trying to cancel it? You probably have a bigger issue with the owner of the content coming at you to say you can't broadcast it without my say-so and where's my 50 bucks? And, and look, the simple fact is that um, Daryl Summers owns all the Hey Hey material, so he's fine to do that. He can run whatever he likes. 
But you know what, Sarah, when you started, I was about to jump in and say, Sarah Strange, random segue of the day. But <laughs> I wondered where the hell you were going, but you got there. You got there. All right. Still ahead on TV, Black Box, big changes in morning TV over at 7. A home and away actress goes to court and we'll find out what everyone's been watching when we open the TV binge box. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I get my own piece. Soon after taking on her role as Seven's Director of Morning Television, Sarah Stinson has announced new bosses for the department. Former supervising producer of Sunrise, Jasmine Costas, will now take on the newly created role of managing editor of The Breakfast Show. Glenn Caro, who has been Studio 10's lineup producer for the past few years, will be the chief of staff. And finally, Mark Whitmore Burney will be the network's entertainment editor. Former Home and Away star Jodie Gordon and her ex-boyfriend have been banned by courts from speaking to each other for two years. A breakup and physical altercation is alleged to have been the motivation for the police to apply for an apprehended violence order, which applies to both of them. Sky News has announced the second debate in its election 2022 marginal seat debate series. The Sky News People's Forum, North Sydney, will take place on Thursday, April 28th at 2pm as sitting Liberal MP Trent Zimmerman, Labor challenger Catherine Renshaw and Climate 200-backed independent candidate Kylie Tink face voters in a three-way showdown. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. We're going to race through our TV binge box. I'll start us off. I've been watching a bit of Doctor Who. I've been watching Doctor Who Dragonfire and Remembrance of the Daleks, Sylvester McCoy era from the original series. I've been watching the Sky News Leaders debate, which I actually thought was very well produced and and actually very well done. Uh, Russian Doll Series 2, I'm three episodes in, and there's a lot of dialogue in this show. She talks a lot, a lot, and it's... I love where this series has gone. It's just there's a lot of talking and a lot to follow. Um, I just want to make one quick point. So tonight, while I was waiting to do the podcast, the news services up here in Queensland started off with breaking news. Now, it was 6 o'clock. It was pitch black. Breaking news. I looked at my screen. And they literally showed a montage of something that happened at 2 o'clock. So this event happened at 2 o'clock probably still going. It was having a major impact. So it's a developing story. It wasn't a breaking story. <laughs> it's not breaking when I'm looking out my window and it's pitch black and you're showing me pictures that are in the light of day. That's not breaking. Welcome to That's the Pennant Report with Rob McKnight. No, come on. Things that happened three hours ago are not breaking news. Come on, guys. I know we want it to feel exciting and happening now, but this is bullshit and I'm well, over it's it. It's breaking news to them if they just found out about it. <laughs> That's true, Sarah. 
Joining us, join us next week when Rob is just determined to, to sort out the difference between Anzac Day celebrations and Anzac Day commemorations. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm, I've done some things in my time and the promo trails and, you know, contributed to probably the downfall of news and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you just, you can't pull that crap if you want credibility. Anyway, Philip, take us through yours. <laughs> Uh, well, I watched a few new shows. Uh, I watched Gaslit on Stan, which is the uh, Julia Roberts and Sean Penn are in it. Uh, it's based on the Watergate scandal involving um, Richard Nixon. And Julia Roberts plays a socialite, Martha Mitchell, who is the wife of Nixon's Attorney General, uh, John Mitchell. Sean Penn plays John Mitchell. And, look, Julia is great. Uh I didn't realise it was Sean Penn playing John Mitchell, so I suppose to give credit to him, it's a fantastic performance. There's only one episode that's dropped on um, Stan, uh, and I'm definitely going to stick with that. Uh, I also, um, thanks to Aaron, realised that uh, Mayan's MC Series 4 had started, I think, on Foxtel. Uh, And that's just a terrific show. In some sense, it's a spin-off of, Sons of Anarchy, which I've never watched, but I really like this show. It's really well acted. Um, and then I also caught up with uh, an ABC show called Unforgotten, which is a cold case crime drama series. Uh, it stars Nicola Walker, who people would know from uh, BBC spy drama Spooks, in which she played Ruth. Uh, she's just a terrific actor. It's a really strong role. Uh, and I'd sort of forgotten it was on. You can catch that on ABC iView now. Thank you, Philip. Aaron? Well, of course, I've been watching Wyand's MC as well, so that that was uh, good. I do want to watch Gaslit, um, but that's dropping each week, so I think I'm going to wait for a few episodes to come out so I can sort of binge a few. Um I don't watch foodie shows at all, but my my one exception is Gordon Ramsay. I just love anything that Gordon Ramsay does. So Seven's got a new season of 24 Hours to Hell and Back. Um, it's on late night, in d- depending on whether you're in a football market or not, But um, which is in my case. So I ended up just watching the whole season. It was really good. Um, I might have to watch that on Seven Plus. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good show. He basically just goes into restaurants that are completely falling apart and then gives them... 24 hours to re to redo it so that's actually quite good um i don't know if anyone remembers the show absentia it started in 2017 and ran for three seasons on amazon um seven ended up with the second window rights to the show after amazon screened it so i kind of forgot about it after the first two seasons but seven are now up to that third and final season so again i thought i was going to watch one episode but i ended up devouring the whole season so it's it's brilliant and it did come to a proper conclusion at the end. Um, and the last one, I continued to watch Barons, and I mentioned a week or two that I was concerned about the ratings th- that it would get for this show because it's airing on Sunday nights at the same slot as the newsreader, Total Control, and this is like a real, I suppose, for a younger audience. Um, and unfortunately, I was right. It was under 200,000 viewers. I mean, it was Easter Sunday, but it'd be interesting to see what the, uh, the total TV ratings are. But... Um, I hope you know ABC do continue to invest in this this kind of um, in these kind of shows. But yeah, I think I was expecting two hundred thousand viewers, and that's what I got. So mm. well, the tough part for it, Aaron, I guess, is that Sunday night everything was down. 
everything was down. So, you know, it'll it'll be a case of, yes, let's hope it picks up in the total TV and let's hope that next week when things are air quotes back to normal on Sunday nights, it might get a better look in then. Because, yeah, two, under $200,000, $200, under 200,000 viewers is diabolical numbers. Mm. I just got a feeling it will be still pretty low. It might get 250 or something next week, but I think it's... It skews a lot younger. It's a much younger show than what, what the ABC audience are used to on a Sunday night in that 8.30 slot. Yeah. Sarah? Well, we talked about Netflix running out of stuff and we were all jumping to other places and Netflix ran out of NCIS. So we got <laughs> Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been binging season 16 of Paramount+, Plus and I'm getting my Gibbs fix and I'm much happier. So you- so you just helped wipe $54 billion from Netflix. Well done, Sarah. <laughs> yes. Well, I needed my ne- I need my NCIS. We all know. Oh, we know. Um, and then we watched Jackass Forever, um, which was a bag of dicks. It really is nothing but cock and balls and assholes the whole time. And um, very... Very special viewing. Um, so, what was that show again? <laughs> Jackass Forever. Yes. Um, and that was because Matt's parents are not here because we're at his parents' house. And when they were here, we enjoyed the chef show with John Favreau, who I forever respect because nothing pisses me off Good more show. watching. Yeah, but like, you know, when you watch a movie and someone's supposed mm. to do a job, and we talked about it mm. on Twitter this week about like someone's supposed to be doing a job. And they yes. have no skill at that. And I constantly watch chefs who have no knife skills, who don't know how to do anything. And I love the fact that this show came about because he spent a year learning how to cook. So when he did Chef the movie, he wouldn't look like an idiot. And I yeah, I so he looked the man like he that. knew what he was doing and yeah. he learned all the skills. And so the third season's out, and it's actually really really good. And it, you can watch it with people who only need PG stuff. And then we watched V for Vendetta because we've never seen that. And I, so oh, I finally understood why it was so film. popular at the beginning of COVID. Just yeah. like when John Favreau um, went out for a year and learned how to be a bounty hunter when he was getting ready to make The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the actor in that. Uh, Robbo. <laughs> I watched uh, Eurovision Song Contest. Don't you roll your eyes at me. Oh. It's a podcast. Robbo. I watched Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, starring Will Excellent Ferrell on Netflix. Oh, it is that was a such a good movie. Brilliant film. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Also, I binged The Hell Out of Heartstopper, which is on Netflix. It's a wonderful British coming-of-age show about two teenage gay boys, and it's really lovely, and it doesn't follow the usual kind of narrative of, as you're watching it. It's just really very lovely viewing, so check that out as well. i am also been watching Modern Family. Oh, lovely. Bring us home, Mog. Uh, I am... Just ankle deep in uh, Lego Masters with my family, and we're loving every part of that. Every time we get to get uh, to see it, the circus is still high on my list. Um, and I am pleased to announce that uh, as a part of my deep, deep love of the Better Call Saul uh, and Breaking Bad franchises, I got to introduce my son to the first episode of, uh, episode of Breaking Bad on the weekend and boy, do we have a journey together coming ahead of us. It's going to be so good. Uh, I cannot wait to rewatch that with him. And the latest, the the first part of the final season, Better Call Saul is running on Stan. Holy shit. It's good. Like incredible television, a great, well told. And I will even proffer that time of recording. The third episode has dropped and it is outrageous so smart so good it's tv that doesn't talk down to people better call Saul on stand 
All right. Well, we need to wrap this thing up because Piers Morgan launches tonight. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. News. I'm going to be watching Yeah, Piers. I'm going to watch it. I, on Twitter, we saw he had the seven-minute intro, and my husband, I was watching it, and my husband's like, I normally don't like anything Piers said, but everything he just said in that intro was incredibly true. And oh, I think I'm it's Spoiler alert, I haven't, I've stayed away from it. I'll I know, be it's, watching it's just tonight. a seven-minute thing on, like, mm. his, like, why he's doing the show, but it's interesting that both his show and Elon Musk buying Twitter happen on the same day, because I think we are tired of being told that we're not allowed to listen to who we want to listen to. And I think society is going to shift back to more of a centrist where we understand there's extremes on both sides, but you can choose who you listen to and you can be adult and not tell people that they can't have a voice. You can just choose not to listen to it. Bullshit. And on that note, we appreciate you listening to TV Black Box, the podcast. And don't forget, you can get all the latest TV news. In fact, we broke the story on Million Dollar Island months ago in February. So if you want to be ahead of the curveball, everyone else reports the press releases, we break the stories. Go to tvblackbox.com.au. It's where people in the TV industry get their news. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Robbo. Thank you, Mulk. And thank you, Philip. We'll see you next week. <laughs>